All right, we got the hype music going because we're talking about the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church 2022. It's mid-July here. This is Pastor Greg coming at you, and I'm about to turn the keys of this podcast over to one of my coworkers, Karin Rivadenera. We're also sitting here with esteemed deacon, <laughs> Jennifer Stoltzenbach. Yeah, this is so fun, and the music is cracking me up, because while normally synod, you know, to some people seems a kind of a snooze topic, this year I think there were some interesting things that went down, so I'm super excited that we have two delegates here, faithful delegates. We experienced every moment live and in person, and there actually is a surprising amount of music and singing and worship that happens at synod. I know, I wish we actually had some of that, some of those outtakes, maybe we can find those probably online. So, thank you both for doing this. I have, I think you guys probably have too, just been getting lots of people asking different questions about even what is Synod, why was it being talked about so much, what was going on. So, that's why I think this is super fun that we're here. I thought maybe one of you could start by just helping some folks. <laughs> Jennifer's pointing at Greg. Sorry to call you out on that. It's hilarious. I'm happy to do an info okay. dump on this. Just sure. what on earth is Synod? And Sure. What so does even the word El- mean? Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, we're part of a denomination that spans both the United States and Canada. And this year welcomed uh, about 20 churches from Venezuela. Uh, and next year is going to welcome 40 churches from the South American country of Colombia. Mm-hmm. So we are becoming an intercontinental uh, denomination. Um, so our, our little congregation here in Elmhurst is about one of 1,200 churches around North America and now South America these days. And like we have our elders and deacons. Mm -hmm. And then across our denomination, we have something called classes, which are local geographical groups of about 20 churches that band together to hopefully join in common mission and do things that we can't do individually as a church. And then once a year, uh, pandemic permitting, uh, (laughs) all the classes, 50 classes around a continent, send four delegates to meet in the general synod. Annual synod, so it's to again accomplish things in mission that we can't accomplish um, even on a classes level or congregational level, and then there's big issues that we just need to sort out all together. And uh, synod did not meet for two years during the pandemic, so there was a big backlog of stuff that needed to be sorted out, contended with. Um, some of it's easy, and some of it's hard and tender and complicated. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And I think probably most denominations have things like this where they're meeting annually. And yeah, it's just the part of way churches are run if they're part of yeah. a denomination. Yeah, so each of these 50 classes, um, as I said, sends four delegates, usually one pastor, one elder, one deacon, and then one pastor, elder, or deacon. So Jennifer was our deacon from Northern Illinois. Our particular classes stretches from the Loop downtown, kind of in a narrow um, latitude bandwidth, mm-hmm. all the way out to the Mississippi River. So we have urban churches, suburban churches like us, and then some farm churches out in the western lands of Illinois. And so, Jennifer, did I hear correctly that you actually volunteered? We should back up and mention that Synod met for nine days in person in yeah. just hundreds of hours, it sounds like, of reading and meetings before you even left. Is that right? I don't know that I've read for hundreds, but yeah, quite a bit of um, prep work and for sure some uh, Zoom meetings ahead of time. Greg had a little bit more prep work than I did, but yeah, we we did some work ahead of time and then the nine days. And you volunteered as tribute for this. (laughs) Well done. Yeah, how about that? (laughs) We were at the March classes meeting um, in Wheaton and yeah, it just kind of came about. I tossed my name out there thinking, oh, somebody else will step up, right? <laughs> but it was me. So I, uh, it was great. I'm, I'm privileged. I, I'm glad I got to participate and just watch that part of our denomination um, work. That's awesome. One of our um, resident sort of church historians uh, Pastor Dave Armstrong popped in when you were gone, and I think he mentioned that you were not only the first and only, I think, deacon from our church to go, but of course, the first woman delegate as well. So you you made some history there. Oh, wow. So we'll have to verify if that's correct, but yeah, I think it is. Verify. That's awesome. Anyway, wow. we should put up a plaque or something. Play We Are the Champions. Or <laughs> exactly. Right so I love it. <laughs> Okay, so tell us a little bit um, about how Synod works. So you do all the prep stuff, you do all the reading, and I saw you guys faithfully 
putting together all those binders and all mm-hmm. those things. So many binders. So many right. binders. But once you get there, talk a little bit about how it works. Like, what do y'all do? Well, there were over 200 delegates, mm-hmm. um, again, as Greg said, from all the different classes. And in addition to that, there were um, youth representatives um, and faculty, faculty, advisors. faculty advisors, right? And ethnic uh, advisors. Correct. Um, and we did, we kind of split the week. So the first part of the week, we were in all of our committees. There are eight different committees. I could list them off. Um, I was in uh, committee two, which is church order and related matters. And Greg was on the committee that dealt with the human sexuality report. Committee number eight, human sexuality. Yep. Super, super dynamic, right? Um, So then, yeah, the second half was uh, together in that body of 200 plus, probably 275 people at some time, uh, part of the time uh, in the large room. Yeah. Synodine. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, um, I mean, prior to going, so there was um, about 1,200 pages of sort of agenda and documents to kind of read and process um, prior to showing up. Um, just the little committee that I was on, number eight, I mean, kind of what happens is that at, at the beginning, kind of the first four days, you spend in committee, and your committee is doing kind of the spade work to present on significant issues that you do a deep dive on, and then kind of distill and bring um, a recommendation or, you know, kind of a summary to the floor of Synod um, because there's just not time for Mm -hmm. 200 people to go through all of that in the same level of depth. I mean, my experience with committee number eight was that, um, you know, it's 24 of us going in a room. We actually had about 600 pages of material between like a 180-page report on human sexuality and all the communication, uh, more than 60 pieces of communication that came from all over the denomination, um, requesting Synod to respond or react or approve or deny all of or certain parts of that human sexuality report. So none of us, you know, really knew each other. I mean, I knew a couple people, um, previous experience with them. But by and large, you know, you're in a company with strangers. They lock the door behind you and are kind of like, hey, come out of here in three and a half days and um, process all of this stuff, have a nice, tidy summary for Synod, and respond to all 60 pieces of these communications from around tidy North America. For sure. It was a tidy summary. I mean, <laughs> like every single word we were oh, deliberated over. And um, that, that was really impressive to me how mm-hmm. just... Um, thoughtful the committee work was and sensitive to all of the different views that were going to be looking at it and considered uh, in particular we had two sensitive topics as well which when you hear church order you think yawn that's going to be a really exciting (laughs) three and a half days but um unless people are out of church order then it gets very exciting yeah yeah well we'll get to that in a little bit so yeah, that's exciting. So you're kind of, it sounds almost like jury work a little bit, but yeah, that's sequestered in these long days. Having served on a oh, grand true. jury, this, was a, this was a little more intense and <laughs> took more uh, creativity and generative power. So to yeah. Jennifer's point, you have a bunch of people who care about words a mm-hmm. lot, and a lot, and a lot of the discussion is just trying to get things down to as clear and simple a form sure. as possible. And it's not necessarily that everybody in the room... Um, you know, agrees all the time. There's a lot of compromising that's going on. Um, so yep. people have to die to their personal opinions and like pet ideas in order for the work of everybody to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love fighting about words. So actually all that sounds super fun to me. Um, okay. So Jennifer, let's talk a little bit about I love calling them by their numbers, committee number two, because it two. sounds so secret. So, yeah, you had referenced that people hear church order and kind of yawn, but um, this year it does seem like maybe they were a couple of mm-hmm. church ordery things that got a little interest. Is or interesting. Is there anything you can tell us specifically about? So, so I can here? tell you just a little bit about one of the things that we um, reviewed, and that was a personal appeal from a former staff member from the Canadian uh, side of the CRC. Um, so... We had a, a, that's where we kind of got a lot of paperwork ahead of time to look through and, you know, come with that working knowledge of what 
had happened, and I really can't go into detail. Sure. It's, you know, it was a confidential matter. Um, yeah. No, I, th- I think it's safe to say that, like, the executive, the director of the Canadian branch of the denomination was released from employment. So there was an appeal kind of around that. So does it sort of work like the courts, I guess, just to keep up with that analogy? Had they appealed, or that person appealed to classes and then it goes to synod? I mean, it's it's nice, I guess, that there is room for people to Um, appeal decisions. Right, right. So he had worked through, I think, the, the process with the um, Canadian Corporation, again, this, the, uh, that side of the CRC, and they had worked through their channels um, to make that decision um, to release him from his position. They, there was one, so the issue was not necessarily performance or grounds, but that the um, process, the guidelines for making going through that due process were um, maybe not right in line with okay. how they're written. Um, and so it wasn't that we were going to um, make, a, make a judgment on whether or not... Like his the, work or whatever. Right, yeah. or whether or yeah. not this was um, an appropriate decision, but whether or not the process that is outlined in short order was followed. Yeah, so Synod... Um, is probably good for making sort of process-oriented decisions, uh, not necessarily good at like making the you know fundamental policy decisions. We generally, as a denomination, trust the local churches or the employees of the denomination. So a lot of like the stuff that comes before synod tends to be process-related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you know the CRC kind of does well. We like a good process. That's super interesting. So that you dealt with one other issue, but I think we'll come back to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a little bit. Okay. Um, maybe we'll tie it into to Greg. Sort of. Okay. Num- we're committees number two and number eight overlap yes. a little bit. Yep. So we're things got I think really interesting. Um, but perhaps that. How about a couple of the other little fun things? I saw. I ha- saw a friend get ordained or whatever happened, not ordained, whatever happens officially, blessed, sanctioned. Yeah, so maybe we can, Jennifer, maybe we can do, maybe we can do some rapid fire, just like little snapshots of things that were, I don't know, interesting or fun that you remember from the week. So one, to to Karen's point is, um, Synod gets to approve Approve. the new candidates for ministry. So those who have like graduated with MDiv degrees, gone through all their oral comps and exams, Synod kind of has a moment where we recognize them and bless them and then sends them out in the world to find yeah, a, that was cool. a church to serve or a call to be called to. Right. We did that one evening. We had an opportunity to listen to two different... We They were interviewed by Synod. I mean, people went up to the floor and had an opportunity to ask some questions. And um, yeah. These are seminary professors, perspective yeah. seminary. And they, okay. I mean, they really put them through the paces, at least from my seat. I was like, wow, they... Covered covered a lot of so like material. part of the seminary professor interview, okay. Yeah, With Calvin too probably new professors get interviewed at Synod no, or no not at the okay. not at Calvin okay. University but Calvin okay. Seminary okay. Um, all new professors go through a theological synodical interview. Oh. Nice. Well. So one one was um, a gentleman from Trinity Christian College right here in Chicago named uh, Dr. Yuda Tianto mm-hmm. who's an Indonesian. Sarah and I lived in the same building down the hall from him thirty oh, years fun. ago. Um, I did at one point, this just this does relate to the human sexuality report. Um, the first gentleman we interviewed um, was actually Brazilian, um, married an American woman. They lived, I think he did his PhD work in the Netherlands, actually, just across a whole bunch of cultures yeah. and worlds. And now, um, I don't know where he was teaching the last 10 years or so, but now he's coming to Kelvin Seminary and, you know, was there with the spouse and kids and everybody clapped. Um, Dr. Tianto from Trinity um, has been a single guy as long as I knew him. So I did feel compelled to stand up and say, like, hey, like, we do a great job celebrating people's families and don't do an awesome job celebrating people's faithful singleness. And, like, here's somebody who's living a great, uh, fruitful, focused um, by all accounts, he's, I mean, he's such a fun, passionate guy, has a ton of energy to invest in the lives of his students. And just to say like, Hey, as a single person, like mm-hmm. amazing professor. Mm-hmm. So sure. I would have loved to sit in one of his classes. I mean, people were coming up to the, to the microphone and saying, you know, you had my daughter seven years ago. And he would say, I remember her and have a little story. I mean, nice. such yeah. a neat guy. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, he is coming out, dear listeners, with a book about John Kelvin in the next month. So oh, he is part of right. the pandemic time <laughs> okay. uh, where there were not as many students on Trinity's campus to actually okay. get this book done that I think so has been in his brain and heart to do. Yeah. Okay, well done. And that was nice of you to recognize him in his singleness because I know from single friends that is probably the number one criticism of the church. We're so good at celebrating the families and don't ever know what to do. So I'm sure he was really touched by that. Um, well, he was not yeah. in the room at the time. Oh, he wasn't. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> he is not. I yet. did gotcha. pers- okay. personal uh, gotcha. conversations okay. with him as long these lines as well. All right. Um, love it. I would say a couple other fun things. It's really nice um, to have other people make food for you all the time. <laughs> so we got to eat in the cafeteria of Calvin University like every day. So, you know, you kind of yeah. go through the food yeah. line. They had an amazing salad bar every day. It made me quite happy. Yeah, and the the ministry partner, um, I think Diagonal Ministries, the, the um, partner ministries each day had a snack, a refreshment that so they right, provided okay. for Synod. And yeah, that was lovely too. That's nice. Coffee Afternoon break. coffee break. And uh, Calvin University now has a Pete's coffee. We don't have those in Chicago, do we? I think it's more of a... P-E-E-T? Yeah, P-E-E-T-S. I mean, I know of it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's one of those on Calvin's campus now, so they gave us all gift certificates, and one of our, because it is cheap, there is cheapness in the Dutch DNA, Mm -hmm. delegates discovered you could take one of those synodical gift certificates and get as many coffees as you wanted. (laughs) So by the end, people were getting like four coffees and bringing them to our entire table with one gift certificate, which... I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I, I don't know I, either. How does that fit into church order? Get as many coffees. No, teasing. That's great. Well, I Good. bought muffins so that I at least supported Good. them a little bit when I went over and used Love my it. one. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I enjoy but a coffee yeah, from fun. time to time. Maybe, maybe not even one a day on average, but I probably set a PR for coffee consumption during well, those Synod. were very long days so i totally do not blame you and i i love that the food was okay too i feel like we did not appreciate college food you don't appreciate it somebody else cooking for you all the time until you need to cook for yourself i love it okay any other fun things before we get into the well the we, weeds? Um, we shot some videos i was a oh, yeah. guest star in a couple of them for that we sent back every day for you guys to put on the facebook and that was fun for me uh, Greg's probably used to it and used to sitting in front of this microphone and all the time, but that was kind of a neat that little bonus. Yeah, it was so fun. We had some friends on there. Uh, Bench yeah. Petrulia, who grew up at Elmhurst CRC, who's a pastor in Holland, mm-hmm. Michigan. And then from our little classes, a um, pastor named Eric Schlickebier from Grace Valley, German mm-hmm. Valley, um, appeared. Yeah. Um, so also a highlight for me was um, like every morning at 8 o'clock, worship would start on the floor of Synod. And some days that was eh, 15 or 20 minutes. There were certain days it was probably north of a half hour okay. of singing and prayers. So um, I just for me, that's a real highlight as mm-hmm. somebody who mm-hmm. leads a lot of worship services. Um, just to be able somebody to re- receive that yep. and be led. Um, the, I would say the only break we had in the schedule was on Sunday morning. Uh, we had stuff scheduled, like work scheduled on Sunday afternoon. And then we did have a Sunday night worship service altogether. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. The piano player was excellent. I did play the piano at <laughs> oh, that worship did? service. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that yeah. was nice. Okay. And what did you do on the Sunday morning? Was it just full break? Were you encouraged to go to check out churches? What or? did you do on Sunday morning? I'm sorry. Jennifer? This is like a judgmental question. It's fine if you just slept. We in. were encouraged and we were given a list of um, the churches in Grand Rapids. Okay. I spent my morning in God's creation. There Perfect. is a lovely um, nature preserve yeah. uh, just across the belt line from mm-hmm. the campus. And yeah, it was beautiful ponds and birds chirping and big evergreen trees and... Yeah. I, I enjoyed that time, yes. Yeah, so I, I actually made this a matter of prayer as well and felt God saying, like, you need to get outside in my world, man. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Um, so I didn't I actually, mean to, like, put you guys no. on the spot. That's totally and, and And again, like, we went to a church service at night. Oh, um, for sure. But um, I, met, I met one of my brother-in-laws at uh, 6.30 in the morning, and we paddleboarded around Reed's Lake, Lovely. For several hours, and then um, he actually was playing guitar in his own local congregation at ten, and then I went directly from a paddleboard to about a six-mile 
walk, run around okay. Reed's Lake. Around Reed's Lake. So okay. I was outdoors for like five hours straight, which okay. was beautiful in the midst of all of the administrative work. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. I didn't put in quite that much sweat. It's totally I was fine. A stroll for me. <laughs> it's a good way to spend a Sunday morning. But, all right. Yeah. We a ready. nice balance. Exactly. Um, I just want to mention one other thing about um, skipping church services, now that we're on this topic, is that um, <laughs> Synod oh, actually formally approved a change to church order, um, which for the last 150 years has read that a Christian Reformed church should ordinarily meet two times on the Lord's Day. It no longer says two times. So hold up. Were we out of church order or not? I mean, we had two services. Did that count? Maybe um, I should ask the person on no. committee number two. So the strong implication, <laughs> so it, it got dialed back about 15 years ago um, to sort of make churches like ours that were no longer having evening service, okay. that we were technically not out of church order. But now there is even no illusion in church okay. order that this practice uh, is to be commended. Okay. So there, was a, there were a few people, probably from the heartland of the United States, that stood up and were like, we really shouldn't change this. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. indeed, it's hard to move forward. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew there would be a little bit when, when we, it was in front of our committee and we, they had some of the more seasoned folks um, to Senate had said, this will have some um, comments made. Mm-hmm. And it okay. Did. And, it and did. so, yeah, opportunity for people to, yeah, yeah, speak their mind. Okay. Well, good. All right. Didn't mean to get on a less church. No, let's uh, turn the corner and (laughs) talk about human sexuality, shall we? Committee number eight. Yeah. So, Greg, how on earth did you get um, to be part of this committee? I should have asked (laughs) Rachel. I mean, er, Rachel. Sorry, you are Jennifer, not Rachel. Um, Are these randomly selected? I guess that's part of it too. Um, Yeah, I actually don't know how the denominational office makes the assignments. Um, I will say uh, we. All of us who are delegates received like a synodical email address, like a Gmail address that denominational communication came to all of us personally, and then access to the various documents then could be had through that portal. So maybe, I don't know, a month or six weeks before the in-person gathering of Synod started, kind of committee assignments came out. So there's about a 20-page document that had the listing of the eight committees, the business that they were going to process the overtures or communications that were attached to that committee work, and then the delegates who are on there. So because there's eight advisory committees, that's number eight, so I'm paging through this document online, right? Like, oh, I wonder what committee I'm going to end up being on. And actually made it to the end, and because I was number eight, I like was like, I don't think I, they must have skipped me or something. <laughs> but no, I really was on number eight and then realized, oh, boy. <laughs> This is this is okay. going to be complicated. Fortunate. So this maybe talk a little bit about the human sexuality report. It's mm-hmm. been out for some time. It was completed. Yeah. Or talk about when it was commissioned. Why it was commissioned. Kind of just tell us about that. A yeah. Bit. So synod, kind of knowing that American culture, North American culture, has been changing fast and furiously. Um, probably partly in the wake of the Supreme Court's Obergefell decision in 2014. Um, I think Senate 2015 commissioned um, this report and gave um, a committee five years to kind of research, interview people, and put together um, a report that would lay a biblical foundation for kind of a theology and practical approach um, to matters of human sexuality. So that report was... Yeah, more than five years in the making and would have been processed probably at Synod 2020. But because of the pandemic, uh, now it's been seven years um, in the making. And what do you do you feel like that extra two years? I mean, there was there was a lot of material in response. You said the overtures, which maybe you should explain quickly what that is. Yep. So an overture is either from a local congregation or a classis or under Strange circumstances can even be from an individual uh, if their class has green lights, um, a personal overture. Um, so it's just a reaction, that a piece of communication that goes directly to Synod that either asks for Synod to approve, not approve, or process um, either the entirety of the report or maybe one of the 
specific recommendations of the report. So the human sexuality report, it's about 180 pages long. At the end of the report, there are seven recommendations. So some of the overtures had to do with the report in its entirety, some more narrowly with just like one of the recommendations or two of the recommendations. Okay. And how many overtures did you have? Yeah, 60-ish. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, and in addition to the, I mean, you guys had the official overtures, but there were, you know, people speaking about it, you know, making little videos, retired professors. There was just a lot, and I'm wondering if it wouldn't have been for, I guess, what, here's my question. Do you think COVID, those extra two years, do you think maybe that turned up the heat on this a little bit or kind of caused um, a little more energy around it, or do you think this would have existed anyway? Yeah, so, so for sure, having the extra time to process gave more time and latitude for reaction and communication. I don't know. I kind of look at that as a gift, hmm, yeah. actually, to have more time around oh, a very deep, complicated, sensitive topic. So, yeah, I don't think it made anything more extreme. Oh. Uh, that wasn't my read anyways. Um, I mean, there does exist in the wider denominational community now kind of like the coalescing of perspectives in uh, kind of like organized communities. So there's a couple groups that are more aligned with um, kind of like pro the report and not just that, but maybe a more conservative interpretation of the report. And there's a couple groups aligned on not loving the report or a more progressive uh, interpretation or wanting to jettison um, some aspects of the report. So probably having extra time has allowed those kind of, of coalescing yeah. of yeah groups. And I don't know what to say. Like right now, it's not like there's a civil war that's breaking out, but there's like the possibility of you know rising tension as a result of that. Sure, com sure. Competing viewpoints. Personally, I think like we're on the cusp of having a more well-defined and healthy conversation. But even having said that, like we're human beings and people get excited and when there's conflict, like lash out and say dumb things and, you know, well, lovely Christian form people aren't exempt from that. Nope. Well, right. And it's an emotional issue for people on totally. all sides of the issue. And, and I think whenever there's something that people feel like the kingdom is at stake. Souls are at stake. Lives are at stake. I mean, it just, it heightens it up. But before, and maybe any of that, why don't you just give a brief summary of the 180-page report or where, yeah, um, I mean, it was approved. And so maybe just talk about what, what it says. Yeah. So one of the, one of the seven recommendations um, at the end of the report was for the denomination to receive the report as... Um, a useful summary of biblical teaching on the topic of human sexuality. So our committee talked about just that summary and kind of tightening the language up of like passing this on um, to our congregations like for quite a while. Um, I would just want to notice like that's a pretty modest claim. This is a hundred page document. Um, no one's saying it's the final word on what the Bible says about human sexuality. Nobody's saying it's the definitive report. Nobody's saying like it's the end of the conversation, but it's a useful summary of uh, biblical perspective on human sexuality. So my takeaway from that, and I think very much the spirit of committee number eight was like, hey, if you read this or converse about the deeper things in the human sexuality report, with your small group, in your congregation, with your leaders, like this will generate difficult and great conversations. It's not meant to be like the answer manual that like, here, you're wondering about all these difficult things, just like read this and then you'll have it all sorted out. Like that's not what <laughs> the Human Sexuality Report or Synod passed. So I guess that's the part that's interesting because it seems like, you know, in kind of reading about this, both I am seeing people both on the conservative end, on the progressive side, who are saying, well, because this was now confessional, it does seem like it is the final yeah. word. So to stop so you there for a this. minute, you use this word confessional, yes, which is loaded. Define it. Um, well, like, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Synod did pass a recommendation using the word confessional. Um, but it is the narrowest possible um, 
association with that word. It's on one very specific sure. topic. The 180-page HSR is not confessional. Right? right? And I would say in our committee, no single person came out of our committee and was like, I agree with everything in that report. I mean, to a person, there's parts of it that we didn't like, would want to change, would want to edit, would want to improve, and it's not to be ungrateful to the group of 12 that put this together. Like, I mean, even with five years with really pastorally sensitive, um, super well-educated, biblically insightful people, I mean, think of trying to write a 180-page oh, report yeah. and the collaboration and negotiation. Um, so again, it's not to say that the report is perfect or that the report is confessional, quite to the contrary, but our committee number eight resisted the strong temptation to remove or edit parts of the entire HSR, partly out of gratitude toward the people that put it together and partly because once we open that up, like how much editing are we going to do? Oh, sure. And not trusting ourselves in a four-day period, like, to get that balance. Right. You all right. just spent five years on this, but we're going to go ahead, which <laughs> we'll, is... We'll no, make it 10% right. we'll better in it. the next right. three days. Totally exactly. appreciate that. So <laughs> if I understand all this correctly, like from what I've read too, and from just talking with you guys and reading, Greg, what you've been writing, it comes down to this word, really this report talked about the word unchastity, as appears in the Heidelberg Catechism, yeah. which is I'm, where the confession part... So I'm going pa- oh, to pause, pause you there. again okay. for one second, which is... <laughs> Like that, that is deep into the report. Yes. And you asked for a summary of the report. Yes. And I just want to acknowledge okay. a couple of the things that comes before the unchastity yes. part. One Perfect. of which is um, that as Reformed people, very much we want to start with the goodness of God. And even though creation is broken and fallen, that still there are a powerful residue of the original goodness of creation um, in all aspects of human life, including sexuality, mm-hmm. even though there's a lot that can easily go sideways wrong and be destructive. So we don't start from a past, uh, posture of like, ooh, your sexual nature is like playing with fire. So, <laughs> Indeed. But with the goodness that this is a gift from God um, into the lives of human beings, and God gives us a whole range of possibilities of um, how to steward this energy and potential that we have. So just want to say that out loud and mm-hmm. then also say... Um, you know, probably nobody in adulthood has lived a perfectly moral life or <laughs> perfectly responsible, uh, stewardly life with your sexual energies. So before we got into these deeper discussions on the floor of Synod, like we spent like a half hour in prayer and lament- lamentation and repentance, um, just for our errors and both for the church's handling or mishandling of conversations, sensitivities, hospitality toward um, the whole range of uh, sexual orientations and experiences. And again, this part of our life is like sensitive and fraught. And I mean, I'm old enough to remember, like you could hardly talk about these things mm-hmm. and good company when I was a kid. And like, I'm glad to be here all these years later and can talk about this on a church podcast a church and the podcast. world's not going to end and nobody's going to throw stones through the south windows at church or anything. Right. Yeah. I think um, for me, that beginning before the report was read and presented, that time of lament, probably half an hour of prayer and reading the um, laments, each, each person I believe from the committee eight had a portion to present and I mean I think it just like I did not see that coming as far as like a personal um, effect not that it's about me but I think I saw a lot of people just change their posture and their um, demeanor I you know I shed a few tears it was uh, probably it just changed me and it really I think set the tone that just that opening um, for how everyone in Synod would receive that I think, heavy. Yeah, and to me, you know, reading through the report, I think the stuff on repentance and lament was so powerful. Like, honestly, I feel like, um, I mean, the half hour at Synod is beautiful. I feel like church communities should spend like two years. You know, I, I think about even the origins of this church with Catherine Tessman, you know, a woman who, you know, kids out of wedlock, divorce, you know, they're her just 
unbelievably wild story and how God used her. And then you think about how just even, um, aside from LGBTQ issues, just how, you know, women who became pregnant, you know, were treated. And there were so many things that, right, like you're saying that we have, with the scope of sexuality, um, been so overly hard sometimes. And I think that that was so beautiful in the report, just this idea of, the po- like you're saying, that posture of lament starting there and being like, we have gotten so much wrong. We're trying to do stuff right, but let's start there. I think it's really beautiful and powerful. Yeah, and to reflect that back to the churches and the congregations yeah. that, yes, we should take that example yeah. from Synod. And- yeah, so um, I'm actually hoping sometime this year there'll be maybe the right moment in a Sunday morning worship service to share a portion or all of that mm-hmm. prayer that kind of came out of Synod. Um, it would be difficult. Um, but the thing that accomplished in, to me on the floor of Synod is that it puts us in the posture of like we're sharing brokenness on this issue. Mm-hmm. It's not like the report or committee number eight is coming from a biblical answer people or we claim the higher moral ground kind of perspective or trying to like share the recommendations from a place of common ground and common brokenness. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily been received that way. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Again, it's an emotional issue for people. And so I think all this stuff takes time, but I think the longer um, repentance and lament and again, that posture, that was a great word, Jennifer, for that. So Okay, so sorry I you know, interrupted a bunch of things. Are there other things you wanted to summarize before we get back to um, unchastity? No, so the, the last thing before we got to unchastity and probably the longest portion of the Human Sexuality Report um, is actually on the topic of pornography mm-hmm. and pornography in our modern world with, when digital access is uh, right on a level that our forebears <laughs> would be appalled by and possibly could not imagine. And just recognizing like that single issue does more harm in the realm of our experience of human sexuality than anything else that is going to come up in this report. And that pornographic access affects old people, young people. It uh, doesn't matter about your orientation or sexual attraction. Like it affects potentially like everybody. So it's kind of a common denominator, destructive issue. And just saying out loud for our churches, like if there's anything for us to wrestle with and spiritually combat, like this is the thing to spotlight because it's doing the single most amount of damage across the board. And it's so prevalent. It is so, I mean, it's the statistics are horrifying. Yeah. And culturally, I mean, my read is culture is now at a total, Mm -hmm. almost total level of a, acceptance with this mm-hmm. like to the point where if like you can ask somebody in a coffee shop like like what's your favorite kind of porn mm-hmm. and like jennifer's looks appalled like i've heard I people talk- ask that. <laughs> they ask if i want <laughs> foam or no foam <laughs> all i'm saying is like if you're not a follower of jesus i think it's a safe assumption that like yes hey just like everybody is like using porn <laughs> some kind of way. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm appalled by that idea. And again, the report is very insightful in terms of all the negative consequences, fallout, covenant breaking, negative biological impacts uh, from physiological to neurological. Like it's hard to find like even a hint of something that's redemptive related to even casual pornography use so mm-hmm. if you're listening to this like please hear this loud and clear and i not that i wish we could talk about pornography but you know forever but um just that with a unanimous resounding voice and then with some tears and repentance from some members on the floor of synod um for past and present failings along these lines like we want to communicate this message to the churches and this is one way for us to be countercultural and against the grain of being like, nope, we want to be the community where real people are trying to live faithfully with real people and yeah, not mm-hmm. indulge our baser, baser impulses or seek pleasure for the sake of seeking pleasure. So can't say this strongly enough. Correct. Yeah. And I think, um, 
you know, like I said earlier, everybody comes to send it into life in a different um, place and perspective. Um, and for sure, we are desensitized, even those mm-hmm. of us who are shocked that Greg gets asked these questions. <laughs> Why shops. does he get asked these questions? Uh, but but uh, seriously, um, you know, I, I came to it as a parent. That's mm-hmm. my primary uh, career role right now. And um, to, to be thankful that our congregation and even our church, you know, our elders have spent several months um, in particular focused on that topic of pornography. And um, I think that communicates to me as a mom, and maybe I see it a little more because I am, you know, a deacon, and I know the, the work that the that the elders are are doing. Um, but just that our um, church family, and you know, to bring it back here in our community, is um, very aware of this and working to not only discern discern, but to uh, address it in a um, respectful way because it is prevalent and mm-hmm. yeah for sure there are people here that struggle yeah anyway so, so obviously on a Sunday morning like there's four-year-olds in our sanctuary there's 84 year olds in our sanctuary so pastorally it's a challenge to address some of these topics in a way that's age-appropriate all the way across the board however again because of online usage I mean I think the average American kid like is exposed to pornography I like somewhere between age eight and nine Mm -hmm. at this point. So it's just not an option not to talk about it regularly, even in the sanctuary (laughs) on a Sunday morning worship service, like as a matter of prayer or acknowledgement or um, seeking healing and redemption and forgiveness for so many folks in our midst. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are, I think, among Christians, it is... I think higher for men, but you know, it's about 60% of Christians are viewing porn. Now, again, I try to recognize I've brought this up even at the deacons meeting. Like I feel bad because sometimes, you know, you're watching, you know, Netflix a show and all of a sudden a scene comes on and you go, Oh my goodness. So you talk about like how the forebears would have, you know, reacted. There's stuff that we all see just naturally. But I think this statistic is about people actually seeking out a specific website, but you know, the idea that it's 60% of the people sitting here Mm -hmm. are, you know, once a month, right? Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. huge. Right. And it's yeah. such an, expl- I don't know the word, exploitative yeah. industry. Yeah. No, if it was any kind of other form of behavior, right. like if we knew. If it was murder it, or. <laughs> 60% of us are embezzling, yes. you know, right. this week. Like, clearly we would be addressing yes. it. Yes. Right. right. Again, as a parent, just uh, looking to the church for mm-hmm. guidance. And yeah, it's just, you are, you're sitting and you're watching Netflix and something like, ah, you want to grab, you can't grab the remote fast enough. Um, yeah. That, yeah, we look to the church for um clarity and support yeah for these all right okay. well how about Sorry. that word on chastity yes <laughs> um, it is a good word both chastity and unchastity <sighs> just they're old-fashioned but yet i think this report managed to bring it very current yeah so um just to back it up i mean the the crc is what's known as a confessional church that we consciously submit ourselves to the bible first um, as God's revealed word to us, um, then to the worldwide creeds, second, that have existed for pretty much the whole of church history. I mean, and seek to summarize the core uh, tenets of biblical teaching. So the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed. And then beneath that, we have what are called three Reformed Confessions. Uh, the Canons of Dort, the Belgic Confession... The Heidelberg Catechism, if you've been through a new members class recently, do a deep dive into those things. Um, But Heidelberg uh, Catechism question 107 and 108 have to deal with the seventh commandment. So part of the the catechism walks through the Ten Commandments and what really is God saying to us as people, the catechism is contending with, what is he revealing to us about how to gratefully live our lives uh, toward him? And... The seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. And Jesus famously said to a group, I'm thinking primarily of guys, Mm -hmm. like, hey, you've heard the commandment, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. Um, So Jesus, we can blame him, like expands (laughs) (laughs) the seventh commandment from just like the out and out act of adultery to broaden the definition um, to the inward um, posture or misuse of 
the gift of sexual energy. So the, I would say the catechism following Jesus expanded definition, like takes it in the direction of like, yeah, for sure. Like if you cheat on your spouse, that's breaking the seventh commandment, but so are acts of sex outside of marriage in any way, shape or form, or to paraphrase a little bit, acts of rape or sexual violence. Um, so synod this year, and again, because, because this word unchastity or what its definition might encompass is becoming fast redefined in our cultural experience, um, synod passed this sentence and in doing so is not trying to create a new definition, but recognize what unchastity has meant for the last 400 plus years. Um, so here's the sentence that unchastity in Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer num number 108 encompasses adultery, seventh commandment, premarital sex, extramarital sex, sexual violence within and outside of covenantal marriage, polyamory, pornography, and homosexual sex, all of which violate the seventh commandment. So um, I would say biggest struggle in our culture um, would be probably the last three. Mm -hmm. That same-sex sexual activity in our denomination has for 50 years differentiated between same-sex orientation, not inherently sinful, and same-sex sexual activity, one of the acts uh, encompassed by unchastity. So culturally, we struggle with that. Mm -hmm. um, increasingly, we're going to struggle with polyamory because we're now our cultural conversation is like, hey, if it's consenting adults, it's in bounds. And I can't think of a good reason that, like, if that's our cultural agreement, why if you have three or more consenting adults, why that should be out of bounds. Uh, and then pornography, which we already touched on a little mm -hmm. bit, like, like, hey, if it's just you in the privacy of your own home, then like, who am I to judge or why would that be immoral in any way, shape or form? Right. So I would say this sentence is um, historically pretty accurate. Like if we went back 100 years or 300 years, like the vast majority of Christians would agree like, yeah, of course, all these things like are encompassed by unchastity. But there's several aspects of it that are culturally offensive <laughs> right now. And probably the leading one, especially now that in North America, the United States and Canada has... Um, laws um, honoring same-sex marriage mm -hmm. commitments, uh, that same-sex sexual activity would be encompassed under unchastity. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, that that's, I think, the tough one for... Um people, you know, to, to come to terms with. So how, how did, I don't know, maybe this is too big of a question, but because it does seem like there's a difference between, you know, saying that even, even sex um, between two same-sex people within a covenant, um, within a marriage feels different. I feel like most people than just, you know, two people out having random sex. Fornication is the old-fashioned word, I guess, for yeah. that. So I guess how, how did that how does our denomination then not see those as different or why we just, how did that come to be, I guess? Not sure exactly what you're asking, okay. but I'll say, a little, I'll, okay. say, I'll say a little more. So um, number one, I don't think there was any desire on behalf of Synod to start a movement to change the laws of the United sure. States or Canada, right, right. like um, in general. And I would say my personal opinion is like, I'm happy to live in 2022 where two same-sex attracted partners can enjoy all the societal and legal rights and privileges, especially if you're living a, a lifelong, faithful um, relationship with one another. Um, at the same time, uh, I recognize that as a Christian person, that the sexual behavior itself, even though like promises exchanged between two people are ennobling, um, that that sexual activity has been, and now we're still on record to say like this, these particular sex acts are immoral. And that's that's based, you should say, on their scripture passages, right? The sort of hundred percent based on the that's Bible. That's where you're coming at that from. That that's where the difference. Yeah. Sorry, Mike, you answered my question beautifully, even though I didn't ask it beautifully. Thank you. Um. Yeah. So I've had fine Christian people say things to me like, "The Bible says this so clearly." 
I almost wish the Bible didn't say that, which is a kind of a lovely way of expressing the tension. Um, and I mean, on committee number eight, not to mention anybody's names in particular, but I mean, there are, there were, um, same sex attracted people like sitting on committee with us who a hundred percent endorse this language and have chosen to live their lives as, um, out in the open, same sex attracted people, but intentionally celibate for Jesus sake kind of people. And kind of going through these discussions, um, I mean, sitting side by side and shoulder to shoulder. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because from one side, sometimes there's very harsh language mm-hmm. from the conservative point of view. That's kind of like, oh, our culture is going to hell in a handbasket, which is hard for them to receive the tone of it, even though they might agree positionally, <laughs> like with the area where it's coming from. At the same time, I'd say it's equally, if not m- more difficult to hear progressive voices saying like, your interpretation of the Bible, uh, same-sex celibate person, is actually wrong. And you're kind of naive and living your life in a way that like, probably is off target because this like, would not even be a problem. Hmm. And you think Jesus is calling you to this, but like, we're sensing like, the Holy Spirit won't do that anymore. So like, that's tough, sure. right? To be, a, to be that person kind of getting... I don't know, almost corrected right, <laughs> from, from, both bo- from both sides. Certainly. And I, I probably haven't heard as much of that language. Like where if someone chooses to be celibate, I don't, I guess maybe there's, there's mocking of that. I, I get that. But I think we probably can all understand the tension though, for people who are same sex attracted in a marriage, how hurtful this might hear or be to hear, you know, I mean, it's or how difficult or if your family members are in this or, you know, sure. as, as people at church, we worry how this, you know, gets handled. On yeah. a practical level. So, um, again, what happened through Synod this year, I think in no way should compromise our hospitality, welcome, flexibility with anybody who wants to worship, seek the Lord with us, participate in ministry. I mean, it's a high standard that is meant for mature Christians and in particular those who would be called to ordained ministry and Mm -hmm. bear one of the church offices. So if you're a 17 year old kid and you're thinking you're maybe same sex attracted, like in my mind, this should have zero impact on your perception of like the church's posture towards you as an individual. So we talked about this very clearly in committee and to a lesser degree on the floor of synod, like what we're being called to is the vision of increased and radical hospitality toward all people who come seeking the Lord. And we have a lot to do to grow and improve on that. Mm-hmm. Like that would be a great thing to spotlight for quite a while too. On the other side of the spiritual growth continuum, we're being called to a cross-cultural radical standard of obedience and discipleship, like not just in sexual activity, in all areas of life, but th- this included. Mm-hmm. And then between those two poles is a lot of room Mm -hmm. and how various congregations or parts of the country or continents are going to shepherd, disciple, the timeline that we give, that people experience for acceptance or change. Like it's going to be radically different. Like it's not Senate's job to like create the cookie cutter, like, hey, you're in a same-sex marriage and you came to a Christian Reformed church, you have three years and now the clock's ticking for like, some decision to be made. Like, none of that, right? Okay. Well, that sort of, I feel like, leads... Do unless you want you a segue? Things, I was going to say that feels like that segues into the... Committee not too. that the other part of your committee wasn't interesting, but perhaps we're, the second We're going section. back to committee number we're two. We're going back to, back committee, to committee number, number two. two. So, yeah, so our um, task, our second primary task on committee two was um, to look at an overture that was in risk. I'm going to maybe read a little bit of it so I get it right. Uh, Response to actions taken by Neeland Avenue CRC, which is a church in Grand Rapids East classes. Grand Rapids. Ever heard of it? Mm -mm, Never. Right. Um, So the committee, we... um, I'm going to read this again. When Neyland CRC 
ordained a person in a same-sex marriage, it acted outside of the bounds of past synodical decisions, procedures, and guidance, and the CRCNA's interpretation of the scripture as it relates to same-sex marriage, and in doing so, has broken covenant with fellow churches. Our unity is based on bearing one another's burdens together, and acting apart from this covenant is a violation of our sacred, sacred trusts, and it hurts us all. So our task was not Can to... Can we just back up really yes, quickly? Yes. So about two years ago, Correct. Neyland yes. Avenue Christian oh, yes. Reformed Church... Ordained, ordained a deacon, a deacon that is um, in a same-sex in a same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you. So that makes gives a little context. And so um, our purpose was not to punish Neeland Avenue CRC, um, but to um, reconcile and have restoration, um, and to. Yeah. I just want to make super clear that committee number two handled this as a church order question yeah. and not as a question of morality. Right, right. And that is our action was not to take action or to, to right, determine um, the, that bigger question, uh, but what to decide if they had followed due process and followed the, the church order for... Um, because right now, the CRC, you cannot, as you indicated, you cannot be married in same sex. As an office bearer. As an office bearer. Or, or, an, or an elder, ordained. deacon, or pastor. Right, right. Um, and so our task was to determine what, if, if they had violated, which you just said, was this, um, um, that an office bearer cannot be same sex married, um, and how they did that and then to make uh, recommendations to Synod for how to respond to that as Synod. I, I, I probably won't go into reading all of those, but um, other just to kind of summarize and say that, that conver- out of that, um, we recognize that the conversation is just beginning with them, with the Neeland Avenue, and uh, for sure it goes along with the, the various things in the HSR, the Human Sexuality Report. Um, interestingly, we were working simultaneously as committee eight. So we, we went into it not knowing what recommendations would come out of committee eight and that kind of just added another dimension, another layer to our um, task sure. and decision making. Um, but in the end, um, there will be a committee formed to work with classes Grand Rapids East and Neelan CRC to walk through that process. This deacon, though, still a deacon, not a deacon? I hear conflicting reports. Still a deacon. Yeah, still a deacon. For sure, still a deacon? For sure, still a deacon. So, um, yeah, I do want to recognize, like, um, there's a whole range of options that Synod could have kind of responded with um, to the conclusion that, in fact, Neeland has acted out of church order. And, um, yeah, I would say it's sort of didn't do their due diligence in communicating widely or making the case why this was the right thing at the right time and how taking this decision is actually in keeping good faith rather than breaking faith. So um, that can still happen, like not now. Um, how, however, um, Synod did not like kick Neeland out of the denomination, oh. did not like unseat their delegates, did not formally, uh, air quotes here, uh, censure Neeland, but is asking Neeland, like, hey, now's the moment to please rescind this decision, get back in good faith with everybody, and then start making the case, if you want to make the case, why this is biblically sound, why it's keeping good faith in community with churches that may not be in agreement with this. Mm-hmm. So how this plays out, we're only at the very beginning yeah, of and- that. Yeah, I have a million other questions, but we are pushing into an hour, on, and probably I'll get myself in trouble if I start asking some of this. No, but it is fascinating, and, and you know, you read about um, a little bit about this woman and how she just people in the congregation had sensed a deep spirituality that she, you know, this calling. She was, you know, a big vote getter, and, I guess, and or nomination well, getter, and, and people I think recognized to her recognize gifts. that Neelan Avenue really was just trying to minister to a group of people in their church. Um, and that, that came And I through. think rec- it sounds like recognizing a calling of someone. So I feel like these are, or maybe, again, I'm, yep. I'm reading banner articles and finding out <laughs> no, this information. No, right. So, oh, well. I, I mean, yeah. if, if, you're, if you're a same-sex attracted person listening to this podcast, I would say from the CRC's perspective, 
there's nothing that would want to diminish your spiritual giftedness yes, or your potential right. to serve or minister in Jesus' name. Um, and there's a ton of service and leadership and ministry that happens outside of the ordained offices of the church. Indeed. Right? And I would say we have people around here who have never served as an elder and deacon who have been our best exemplars of serving in Jesus' name. So for some people, being ordained is part of the journey. For others, it's not. Um, so it's the stance of the CRC, however, that if you are same-sex attracted and same-sex active, the ordained offices are not on the table for you, which is not to say that you are not spiritually gifted and not um, called and equipped to do amazing things in Jesus' name. Sure. You should include, I mean, from my understanding of the human sexuality report that you talked a lot about porn, if you are viewing porn frequently, ordained office that is, is not compromising for you. <laughs> your. So uh, that, that, is the, that is the comprehensive nature, I think, of the report that's important to, to do and for people to recognize, too. Again. Yeah. And Synod did not get into the nitty gritty and I don't think, you know, wants to start like a sexual activity examination committee or vetting process, but it is relying on, you know, all of us as individuals to be honest and appropriately transparent about the health of all aspects of our lives. And if there's something sexual or otherwise that would interfere or compromise or, you know, is a willful and unrepentant, those keywords, willful and unrepentant um, pattern in our lives, then yeah, that, that compromises your ability to step into one of the ordained offices. For sure. So it sounds like from both of you, and again, this is where, um, you know, I think interesting things start happening, but I've, I've kind of heard from both and from different places, like it's, this is just the beginning. The conversation is sort of only starting where it seems like in some ways it's like, boom, this, you know, rubber stamp, move on. It feels like it's the end. But I guess a couple questions about that. What if for the people who are listening or who are in our congregation, what if there are people who disagree with where the, where Synod landed on this issue? What, 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 are, what is, so what do with, with those the definition people? of unchastity in particular? Yeah. That's, that's just, the part that's like, yes, for sure. I, I would say that the people, yeah. particularly who I think that there's a number of people, again, we are people of our culture. We live in a urban area um, where we say, Hey, my, my friends, my family members who are in a same sex marriage, they, they just are going to wrestle with seeing this as unchaste living. How is there room, I guess, to disagree in our church is my question for you. Can you get that done in Can the we last get that quick? Sure. 90 seconds? <laughs> so I would want to start with saying like, as a CRC, as Elmhurst CRC in general, like we're a church that's committed to radical hospitality and welcome for all human beings. Like I want to say that first and we could hang out there for a long time and I'd prefer to hang out there. Yeah. Um, we're a church where same-sex attracted people attend. For sure. Where trans people attend. Where if you come honestly seeking a Lord, like Lord willing, we're becoming more and more a place uh, like we want to walk alongside everybody, recognizing that growing toward the Lord is a, a lifelong journey. Um, I want to say like we're a church that hasn't done a perfect job. We're repenting, we're growing, we're trying to embrace that calling. And we're a church that on the opposite end is holding this like historic, like very high standard of um, biblical vision of morality in general and, and sexual morality in particular. But I'd rather say all those other things first. Sure. <laughs> right. And for sure, um, I think the tone at Synod was kind of what you just said. Um, we uh, are sorry. Um, we're listening and we're learning. And it's, you know, it is just the beginning of a conversation. Yeah. But time will tell in a binational denomination whether we're going to drop factions and start shooting <laughs> stuff at each other or whether everybody has the desire and grace to, like, talk and wrestle. I mean, it was said very clearly about Neeland, toward Neeland, you're part of us. We're part of you. We're in this together. There were several key moments where some, I would say, some more graceless sort of things or possibilities were put forward, and those were immediately resisted and tamped down. So 
in the short term, or at least in terms of the spirit of Synod 2022, um, this more judgmental or graceless or now the conversation is over and where you just slam the doors behind us, like that didn't happen. Like, and there were several. Well, yeah, but it was, <laughs> I would say by and large, a, um, reconciliation was the, the intent and restoration, like you said, not that they're with Neyland uh, Avenue. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, mm-hmm. that's super and helpful. Ho- I, you know, time will tell, but hopefully it was received that way mm-hmm. by Neyland and in particular the deacon. I know for sure personally, you know, it's, it's really hard to sit there as a fellow deacon and, um, yeah, we, we, Empathize with, sure. with her, to, and that's not even a strong enough word, but, um, and their church for the things that they need to, that they will need to address and talk about. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think probably the greatest strength of the Christian Reformed Church is, it's a, I've always said this, it's a thinking church, it's a questioning church, it's a very intellectual, right? Maybe that's the greatest weakness, <laughs> that there's so much thinking and wrestling, but I do... Yeah, I know that this stuff has been thought about carefully and studied, and it's good to know that we can keep praying about it. I loved your line, Jennifer, though, that we're sorry, we're listening, we're learning. I think that's a really good posture, just in general, probably on every issue in the church, but it's beautiful. It's, um, it's for, not in the Bible, sure but and, and that's we're how I with, feel. And we're sticking with the Bible, though. <laughs> no, so of that, course. So that's how yes. things change yeah. in the Christian Reformed Church. Yes. Like, you need to make a strong biblical case. Yeah. And clearly, like, a ton of change has happened in the last 400 years, mm-hmm. not just because culture has changed, but because the Holy Spirit is at work. Yep. Uh, and not that the Bible has changed, but as we grow together as a people, sometimes, like, our insight and our understanding of what God is actually saying, sure. like, becomes more clear. Yeah. Right? So we stand at a crossroads, I think, of hopefully having a really honest conversation about what the Bible says about human sexuality. Yeah. For sure. And I wasn't implying that that, that like trumps like the cross of Christ or the Holy Spirit's oh, no, movement. No. <laughs> I just I think that's a lovely posture though, just in general as Christians or whatever, to just be willing to do that and indeed see what, right. what God is right. doing and I love it. Well, hey, we are an hour and six minutes into this synod pod. If you have made it this far, I would like to make the case that you have an extra jewel in your heavenly crown. Indeed. Anything you want to say in conclusion, Karen? Sum this up. No, oh my goodness. I don't even know. But I'm glad that you guys talked about this and that you went to Synod, that you were there and you're willing to share. And I'm sure there'll be a million more questions coming. All right. Way. I'm signing up for Synod 2023. How about you, Jennifer? Yeah, you have fun with Woo! that. I think my timesheet has fallen into <laughs> All overtime. those free coffees. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for hanging out with us.